So the message of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3 in particular, is all about God. It's about God. It's about the world that He made. It's about you and me. It's about how everything has gone wrong and what God is doing to make it right again. And the truths of these passages have such enormous implication for our daily lives. Uh, All the issues that you read about and you hear about in the news, all the, the things that we worry over, we can find God speak to us about them through His Word. Uh, Genesis 1-3 through is about so much more than, than days and dates and genealogies. It's, it's about you and me. It's about our families, our community, our nation, and our world. And last week we looked specifically at what Genesis 1 has to tell us about God, who God is. And today we're going to, to change and talk about what creation reveals about us, who we are. What does it mean to be a human? That is a, a very uh, real question that people seem to struggle with today. What is humanity? What does it mean to be a human being? Uh, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. What makes, as Ben was talking about, what makes people set apart? What makes us unique and different? Uh, there's a video that's circulating online, uh, and I saw a news story about it. It's a TikTok video. Now, I'm not on TikTok. But it's a TikTok video where this girl is saying that she is not a human being. She identifies as an android, a non-binary android, and she says that she's having an existential crisis, you think? But about the fact she can't connect to the Internet. Because she's not an android. She says specifically in the video, I'm not a human. There's a lot of that going around today. There's a lot of... Well, I think that video tells us, first of all, that there's a mental health crisis in our country that is real and needs to be addressed and is only exacerbated by social media. But secondly, there is a real question in a lot of people's minds. What does it mean to be human? So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at that some more next week. Uh, but the shift in the text is very evident on this. There's a, remember, there's a pattern in Genesis 1 where God speaks things into existence. He looks at it. It's day, it's morning, it's evening, it's morning, it's the first day, second day, third day. God sees what He has made. He says that it's good. Now, that's kind of the pattern through here. And God is naming, He's dividing, He's separating, He's naming things like sea and sky and sun and moon and day and night. But then something changes. The pattern is broken in Genesis 1, beginning of verse 26. If you will <clears throat> look with me there. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Then God also said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So here in verse 26, God pauses to plan the pinnacle of His creation, human beings. And as Ben said, unlike anything else that God had made, we are made in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Now, that is a phrase loaded with mystery. What does that mean? 
Well, it does not mean that we physically resemble God. Jesus says that God is spirit. And throughout the Scripture, this is affirmed. God is spirit. He doesn't look like you and me. He's not like you and me in that regard. So what does it mean for us to bear His image? Well, a big part of it is having this unique relationship with God. From the very beginning, God created and called people to partner with Him. He brought us into partnership with Him. Not that God needed us. God doesn't need anything. As, as we heard in our New Testament reading. But God wanted us. He desired for us to partner with Him in His work in the world. And we see this here in Genesis 1 and 2. We also see it later on after the great flood when God reissues this commission that He gave to Adam and Eve here to fill the earth and, and to subdue it. He says in Genesis 9-1, God blessed Noah and his sons and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God reaffirms that same commission He gave to Adam and Eve to Noah and his family. Now, as we know, Noah and his descendants weren't any better at resisting sin than Adam and Eve. And, and they are just as depraved and they are just as prone to sin as the rest of humanity. And we'll be looking more at, about that in another week. So after many generations of more sin, of more depravity, of more ruining God's good world, God calls another man to be the father of a new people through whom He will bless the entire world. He calls to Abram. And it says in Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What does it mean to partner with God as His image bearers in the world? In Genesis, not just here in the creation account, but through from Adam through Noah to Abraham, we see at least three reasons, three things that it means for us to be made in God's image. The first is that we are made to reflect God's character. His character. Just as a child reflects the characteristics of their parents, you know, maybe you've had somebody say to you in the past, you're the spitting image of your dad. Or, or you or your mother made over, right? We, we bear these family resemblances. The same is true between people and their Creator. There should be a family resemblance. We should reflect the image of our God. Now, as we all know, we have done a terrible job reflecting God's character. We have failed miserably as a race. And where Adam and all of humanity have failed, though, Jesus Christ succeeded. He succeeded. And giving us the perfect picture of who God is, Jesus really is the ultimate human being. He is the perfect man and the example of how God intended us to live and how He intended us to bear His image. Paul says in Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3a, it says the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Jesus does what God created us all to do. He is the visible representation of the invisible God, perfectly, not just reflecting, but for Jesus, radiating His glory throughout the world. So, where fallen humanity fails to do that, Jesus more than succeeds. And when we put our trust in Him, He transforms us, His Spirit indwells us, He makes us right with God, and He shapes us more and more into His image, into the image of Christ, so that we can reflect God 
to this world so that we can reveal His handiwork. So as bearers of God's image, redeemed by Jesus Christ, we should be reflecting these elements of God's character. I just want to throw a few of them out here. There's, there's many more. But we should be reflecting His holiness. His holiness. Life in the garden for Adam and Eve was holy. Everything was sacred. Everything was very good. They walked with God. And that's really what it means to be holy. It means to be uniquely set apart for God's glory, to be purely devoted to Him, to walk with God. Now, sin has made that impossible for us to do on our own. But through Jesus, we can be made holy. That's why it says in Ephesians 1.4, For He, for God, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before Him. We were created to be holy. Jesus recreates us and makes us holy. We are to reflect this otherliness, this separateness of God. He is distinct from His creation as we are distinct, as been pointed out, unlike anything else in all of creation. Secondly, we are to reflect His love. John tells us that God is love. And in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they experienced and reflected that pure, selfless love of God. Look at Genesis 2.25. The very last verse of this chapter, before everything falls apart, it says, Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Now, this is talking more than just about their bodies, more than just a lack of clothing for them. What it means is they experienced community, relationship, the way it was meant to be. Honesty. Trust. No pretension. No self-centeredness. No insecurities to hide. They gave and received love freely without holding back, without hidden agendas, without selfish motives. That's how God created us to be. They they naturally experienced what Paul says we should strive for. In Philippians 2, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul challenges us. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's how we are to reflect the love of God. That's what Adam and Eve experienced. That's what Jesus is at work in us to reclaim. But we're also to reflect His faithfulness. God is always faithful to His creation, especially to those made in His image. God, we talked about this uh, the past two weeks, God made a world that's dependable with these fixed laws that govern how the universe works, the laws of, of energy and matter and gravity. The sun rises and sets every day. Science is based on this orderliness of God's created world. And that orderliness is a testimony to a God who is faithful, who is dependable, who is trustworthy. And God expects that from us. He expects us to be faithful and dependable and trustworthy. That's why God gave Adam and Eve a choice either be faithful to Him or unfaithful. To trust Him or to distrust Him. To depend upon Him or depend upon themselves. That's one of the reasons God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the garden. And we're going to discover more about this in a few weeks. What happens when we deny the image of God within us? What happens when we are unfaithful, undependable, disobedient, unholy, Self-centered. What happens when we no longer reflect the character of our Creator? 
And we'll see here in a few weeks how sin really is the denial of the truth that we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image to reflect His character. Secondly, we're made in God's image to embody His kingdom. We embody His kingdom. Now, in the ancient Near East, which is, the remember, that's the context in which Moses wrote Genesis, the context in which those, those children of Israel first read these passages, kings would set up statues, images of themselves as visual reminders of who is in charge. Sort of like planting a flag. That's happened throughout history. You know, you think about the Egyptian, the, the big statues of their pharaohs. You think about that in Greek and Roman society. Even in modern day uh, countries today, you'll see images and statues and giant murals of political leaders. It announced to their subjects and the surrounding nations that, hey, this is my kingdom. I have the ultimate final authority here. Now, Psalm 8 that we heard earlier says that God placed us in a special position in the universe. He crowned us with glory and honor. And it says in verses 5 and 6, You made Him, meaning humanity, mankind, you made Him little less than God and crowned Him with glory and honor. You made Him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under His feet. In other words, we stand as reminders to the rest of creation that the Creator God is the King. This is His universe. It belongs to Him. We are made to reflect His glory on the earth because God is spirit, yet He created a physical world. So you and I are the physical representations of the Creator to His creation. And Jesus is the fullest, most perfect physical representation of God to His creation. Jesus perfectly embodies the kingdom of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh. Jesus had to come as that ultimate perfect representation of God to the earth because we weren't that. Because our sin has so marred and masked the image of God within us, we can no longer adequately reflect the character of God to this world. We are actually, because of our sin, alienated from the kingdom we're supposed to embody. Paul says we are actually born into this world enemies of God because of our sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we are reborn anew into the kingdom of God, we begin to be formed into His likeness. We become Christ's ambassadors, not just to the physical creation, but to the lost people around the world that are made in God's image still, loved by Christ for whom He died. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20, We are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So when someone gives their life to Jesus, when someone recognizes that they're lost in their sin, and they repent of that sin and they put their trust in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit comes to live within them and begins to change that person's character from the inside out so that they will represent the character of God, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the character of Christ being formed within us. In fact, the name Christian literally means little Christ. We are to be little Jesuses scattered throughout the world, showing others what God is like, embodying His kingdom principles. Spiritual growth, discipleship, 
is really about becoming more human. As we become more like Jesus, we actually become more human, more how God created us to be. In Romans 8, 29, Paul says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So think about it this way. The image of God in us has been deformed. And in Christ, we are transformed. We are conformed back to the image of God in which we were created. So as descendants of Adam, we're made in God's image. But as followers of Jesus, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 15, 49. He says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning Adam, descendants of Adam and Eve, we also will bear the image of the man of heaven, meaning Jesus. We are made in God's image to reflect His character. We're made in God's image to embody His kingdom. And third, we are made in God's image to partner with God in His creation. To partner with God. What did God do as soon as He made Adam? He put him to work in the garden. He gave him a job. He gave him a task. Look at Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Look at verses 19 through 20. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal, but for the man no helper was found corresponding to him. And then God observes, it's not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen? Man, I mean, it's, you know, Ben uh, and Matt and I, our wives, went uh, on a pastor's retreat this past weekend. Uh, the Georgia Baptist Convention uh, did for them. And I'm very appreciative for the Georgia Baptist Convention for pouring in to pastor's wives across our state. Uh, Abby and I couldn't wait for Julie to get home. It's just not good for man to be alone. We, we need help. Amen? We need helpers. And that's true for all of us, men and women. God created us to be in relationships with people. God created us for community. God didn't intend for anybody to do it all alone. Let me say that again. God does not intend for you to do it all alone. We need help. We need partners. That's how God made us to be. That's actually part of God's image in us. That's not a weakness. Remember, God is Trinity. God is the three in one. God is an eternal community with Himself. And God created people to have a relationship with Him, not because He needed us, not because He was incomplete without us. God longed for us. God yearned for us. God wanted to have people to love and to love Him back. He created us to partner with Him in creation. And the man said, I need a partner. I need a partner to help me fulfill this commission to fill the earth and to form it, to help creation to flourish. So God gave the man woman to come alongside him as a suitable helper, a true partner in bearing God's image to the world and fulfilling that commission to fill the earth and form it. Now, how do we do that? How do we partner with God and with each other to help His creation to flourish, to fill and form it according to His will, according to His good purposes. How do we do that? Well, again, I'm going to give you at least three ways. There are many more than this, but I want to think about these three ways right here. The first way that we partner with God in creation is to bring and maintain order. We bring and maintain order. Now, 
Throughout Genesis 1, God is ordering and naming things, right? He's setting things apart. He's putting in boundaries. He said, here's the shore. That's the ocean. That's the land. You know, here's, this is the day. This is the night. He's ordering and he's naming things. And what do we see Adam doing in verses 19 and 20? Ordering and naming things. He's continuing what God started. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul tells us God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And we've talked about this the past two weeks, about what it means for God to be an orderly God and to create an orderly universe. What Paul says right there in that Greek word for disorder can mean chaos, confusion. God is not a God of chaos or confusion. He's a God of peace. And remember the Hebrew word for peace, and that's translated into the Greek here, but... Paul, being a Jew, he's got this shalom in mind. Shalom means prosperity, well-being, flourishing, harmony. That's what it carries with it, those ideas. So Paul says God is not a God of, order, of disorder, of chaos and confusion. He's a God of flourishing, of well-being, of peace and harmony. He's a God of order. And then Paul uses that character of God to challenge the Corinthian Christians. They've let their worship services get out of order. They've become disordered. They've become chaotic. They've become confusing. And Paul says, no, your worship should reflect the orderliness of God's character. Your worship should not be confusing and chaotic because we do not worship a confusing and chaotic God. We are to reflect that bit of His character. Now think about yourself. What are the ways in which you help to bring order to God's world? Maybe you're an organizational wizard, right? You know that everything has a place, and you know that place. And you can go right there and you can find it. Okay, maybe you're a wizard at packing, and you can make everything fit in that suitcase and keep it under 50 pounds. Great job. That's amazing. Maybe you know how to load the back of the van for a trip like a, like a real-world Tetris game. You can get everything tucked in there where it needs to go. That's not me. I do not have very good spatial, uh, you know, uh, be able to recognize that kind of stuff and do that kind of stuff. Just ask Julia. She, she's our organizational wizard. Maybe that's you. Maybe you like to organize people so they can work together to accomplish goals. Maybe you love science. Right? You, you love studying and categorizing and trying to make sense of God's world. Maybe you've got an interest in government, law, leadership, politics. You know what that is? That's ordering humanity so we can flourish together. It's another form of ordering. So whatever those you love to do, whatever way in which God has gifted you in that way, you are reflecting God's image. You are partnering with God to bring and maintain order in this world. That's why we have a constitution of bylaws as a church. That's why we have a committee structure that we're going to be looking at today at 5 o'clock. If you're on one of those committees that needs to meet today at 5, be there. And committees doesn't sound very exciting, but it's an orderly way in which we can work together to accomplish the ministries of this church. We bring and maintain order. Secondly, we can partner with God to celebrate and create beauty. God made a beautiful world, Amen. I mean, he does. My parents sent me some pictures yesterday of them uh, playing in the snow in Tennessee, kind of really rubbing our noses in that. But it's beautiful. The blue sky, the green pine trees, the white snow, it, it was beautiful. We have a beautiful world that God has made for us. And God desires for us to appreciate that beauty, and He desires for us to contribute to that beauty. We see that throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms. 
how people use God's creation to praise and glorify His name. We heard it in our Old Testament reading. Psalm 8 begins, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is Your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with Your majesty. When I observe Your heavens, the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You set in place, what is a human being that You remember Him, a son of man that You look after Him? God takes great pleasure in the world that He has made. And He wants us to do the same. He wants us to praise His name for the good world that He has made. But God also wants us to take what He has made and create more beauty with it. And we see people again throughout the Bible doing this. We see people in the Bible creating beautiful works of art for God's glory. Making music. Cooking delicious food. Writing beautiful poems and prayers. The Bible's filled with beautiful poetry. Masterfully written stories. Memorable proverbs and clever parables. We read about how ornate and beautiful the tabernacle and the temple were, each made to reflect God's glory and the goodness of His creation. Again, maybe some of you are gifted with that. You can write music. You can play and sing music. You're creating beauty in God's world. Maybe you can draw or paint or you can make things with your hand. You can make things out of wood or out of clay or out of little plastic bricks. Maybe, and I know this is not a maybe, there's a lot of you out there that are good cooks. Good cooks. I was talking to some people at the bereavement meal for, uh, uh, on, on, uh, on uh, Wednesday uh, for Miss uh, Juanita Johnson. And I'm trying to remember who I was sitting at the table with, but we were talking about uh, what a great cook she was with her coconut and red velvet cakes. And then we started talking about her Sunday school class and, and all the people that have cooked for those bereavement meals and how good they cook. And I said, yeah, I said, it's a workplace hazard around here, all this good and delicious food. And it is. We've got good cooks in this church. We've got people in this church that are great at maintaining this, this beautiful campus and making sure that we're landscaped well out here. I was telling Jay this morning, thank you for covering those flowers around the sign out there so the, the cold last night didn't set them back too bad. Maybe gardening. Maybe you're gifted with taking pictures or painting pictures that accentuate and highlight the beauty of God's world. God has called us to partner with Him by celebrating and creating beauty in this world. And I know a lot of people in this church can do that. And third, we partner with God to create, to shape human culture. This is very closely connected to celebrating and creating beauty. Too often we think of culture as the enemy of God, right? And, and, and the reason for that is because when we think of the culture, what we're talking about is the lost world twisted by sin, sin standing against God's kingdom. But in its truest sense of the word, culture is simply humanity's effort to fulfill God's command to fill and form the earth. Okay? To, to, to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every creature that crawls on the earth. Culture is just the ways in which people come together to accomplish what God has called us to do. And in many ways, the Old Testament is the story of how God prepared the specific cultural context into which Jesus would be born. The incarnation is more than just God putting on generic flesh and blood. Jesus didn't just become a generic human being. Jesus stepped into history. He stepped into time at a specific place, at a specific time, with a specific language and culture. Jesus came as a first century Jewish man. And He came at that time in that way to reveal who God is to us and to purchase redemption for all people from all cultures. 
And so we should think of culture as a God-given tool that we can use to connect people with Jesus. Listen, as Christians, we should be offering the best culture the world has ever seen. We should be producing the best literature, music, art, film, and culinary masterpieces the world has ever known. As Christians, we should be responsible for the best policies in government, the best architectural designs, the most amazing medical procedures should be coming from followers of Jesus Christ. Because this is an important way in which we bear God's image to the world and partner with Him as He works in our world. And it's the best way we connect people with the God who loves them and made them in His image. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship. You're God's masterpiece. You're His workmanship. And he says He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He created you to create more masterpieces, to do good works, to partner with Him in creation's flourishing. Think about the ways that you do that. Think about the work that you do. Think about the work that you do for the glory of God, for the benefit of other people. That's a work that God prepared for you. That's a special assignment He has given you. He's given you that passion. He's given you those hands to do those things. He's given you that mind to know what you know. It's how you partner with God. Listen, God's desire for a partnership with us didn't go away because of sin. God still longs to partner with people. Our sinful nature is bent towards destruction more than creation. It's bent toward abuse more than good stewardship. Our broken relationship with God makes us largely incapable and unwilling to fulfill God's mandate according to His definition of goodness. Sin has marred the image of God within us and it's also broken our partnership with Him. We can't truly partner with God if we're His enemies. And the Bible says if you're lost in your sin, you're an enemy of God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't or can't work through sinful lost people. We know in history He's done that. We know in the Bible He's done that. We talked about that Wednesday night with the book of Esther. But what it means is that there is a different mandate. There is a new commission that takes precedent for us as believers over that original one. Just as Christians share the image of God with all people, yes, we share that original mandate to fill the earth and form it with all people. But we also have a new and greater commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. We are called to partner with God in spreading His good news to the world and make disciples. To fill the world. We're still to fill the world, but we're to fill the world not just with with new people, with babies. We're to fill the world with new disciples, with babes in Christ, and to nurture them and to help them to grow so they can also further reflect the image of their Creator and Savior to a lost and dying world. That is our commission. And I hope that you've noticed that for each of these three ways we bear God's image, reflecting His character, embodying His kingdom, partnering with Him in creation, for every one of these, sin ruins it. Sin gets in the way. 
Sin strips us of the will and the power to fulfill our God-given purpose. But I hope you've noticed that in Christ Jesus, those purposes aren't just reclaimed, they're expanded. In Jesus, we can reflect His character as we bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We can embody His kingdom as His ambassadors to a lost and dying world. We can and must partner with God in filling and forming the earth with more followers of Jesus as we go and make disciples of all nations and all generations. This is what we as a church have said is our purpose. We have said that we as a church are here to love God, love people, and make disciples for Jesus from all generations and from all peoples reaching our neighbors and the nations with the good news. That's what we've said. That's what we've committed to and said we believe that we are as a church. And to that end, I am so excited for you to come tonight and see and hear the presentation that our campus vision team has put together for you. We've been working on this for a few years now. Remember, our vision, vision implementation process started about the time the pandemic hit. So we've had some ups and downs, some, some starts and restarts, but, but we are ready now. This campus vision team has a great report to give you, and I hope you will be here tonight at 6 o'clock for that church conference. I hope we fill up the fellowship hall and have to move it in here because so many of you come tonight to see and hear this exciting report because you're going to see, like Mike is going to put a couple of these up on the board just as a little preview. You're going to see some exciting concepts and hear a compelling vision for our church and our beautiful campus that God has so richly blessed us with. And it's all about, what you're going to hear and see tonight is all about reflecting God's character to this community embodying and extending His kingdom for all of McDuffie County and to partner with God in what He is already doing in our midst. We're joining God where we already see Him at work because God is working in this church. And just in this report, God has already used the gifts and talents of people in our church and at 2KM Architects to help us better maintain and order this campus. So we can be the best stewards of this campus that God has given us. We want to better organize the space that we have to serve the Lord. And it's going to help us to further celebrate and create beauty. God has blessed us with a beautiful campus, beautiful building and grounds. We want to enhance that. We want to celebrate that. We want to make the most of that. And we want to use it to help us shape a culture in this church of generosity, outreach, evangelism and discipleship and to help shape a better culture in our community for families in McDuffie County. That's our heart. That's our goal. That's what you're going to see and hear tonight. So I pray that you'll be there. And I pray that you'll join us in seeking God's face. We must pray about this and ask for God's will to be done, that we truly would be joining Him in where He is at work, that we would trust Him to guide us and to provide for us as we carry out His vision. So please, be in prayer and be there tonight. Now as we come to this Lord's Supper table, I want you to consider three things in light of this message. First, you are made in God's image, but sin distorts and hides it. God has made you. God loves you, and through faith in Jesus Christ, God's image can be made new in you as you become more like Jesus. But you have to know Him. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with God? Does His Spirit live within you? This table is about the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made to restore the image of God in you. 
And if you have any question about where you stand with Jesus, if you don't know that you belong to Him, then when we stand and sing in a moment, I hope you'll come and see me. I'd love to kneel at this altar and help you give your life to Jesus Christ. Don't come to this table if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, how is God calling you as a follower of Jesus to partner with Him in the world? How has God shaped you to serve Him and to serve your family in this community? Maybe God is calling you to rededicate yourself to truly fulfilling God's purpose for your life. To work not as unto men, but as unto the Lord. Not to seek the approval of others, but to seek His approval. To use the gifts and talents and resources God has blessed you to reach the lost and to make disciples. Maybe you need to come and rededicate yourself to truly serving the Lord and partnering with Him. Or maybe you sense God is calling you and your family to join us at First Baptist Thompson to partner with us as we seek to reflect His character to this community, to embody His kingdom to the world, and to partner with Him in helping it to flourish. Whatever God is speaking to you, whatever the Spirit of God is using this passage and this message to speak to your heart, I pray you'd be obedient. Let's stand together and pray, would you? Father, we are so thankful for the world that you have made. We're thankful, Father, for sending your Son to redeem fallen sinful humanity, to take a broken world and put it back together. And that begins with each of our hearts. Father, I pray that your Spirit would speak to us and work through us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.